No country has ever prospered that failed to put its own interests first. We will no longer surrender this country or its people to the false song of globalism. New Right Network presents Right Now, the featured podcast of New Right Network. Mobilizing, countering the left, energizing the right. New Right Network, home of the New Right Movement. Hey, welcome to Right Now, the official podcast of the New Right Network. And with me today is a very special guest, someone I guarantee that you're going to enjoy to listen to as both informative and entertaining. It's Stephen Kent. Stephen is a political writer, TV commentator, and podcaster. He's also uh, a big Star Wars junkie, and I'm just going to bring me to my uh, first question. Stephen, by the way, before I ask, thank you for coming on the uh, podcast. It's great to have you. Pleasure to be here, Ryan. Thank you. So, Stephen, why is it that liberalism and metachlorians destroy... I wouldn't say that liberalism has destroyed Star Wars. At its core, Star Wars is an inherently liberal series, and I mean that in the classical sense. It is about the little guy versus the big guy. It is against um, uh, collectivism and for individualism. So in that sense, I am for Star Wars and its enduring liberalism. Uh, progressivism and sort of identity politics, that would probably be a separate thing in my mind. But midichlorians, I don't know, that's a, that's a tough one. I have mixed feelings on the matter, which we could maybe get into. Maybe after this, we'd have to discuss it, because when I heard it, I'm like, that is the worst ex explanation for the force anyone could ever come up with. Yeah, possibly. It is. So, uh, you know, we've seen you around. We've seen you, um, you know, I've, on Fox and th place, big places like that. Well, how did you get started in on that? And, you know, what really drives you? Yeah, sure. So I am the spokesperson for Young Voices. We are a libertarian and conservative network of young commentators and political writers um, focused on trying to help young people control and amplify their personal brands. And I was able to make my own leap into doing political commentary, which is something that I always wanted to do, uh, by finding something unique about what I like to write about and what I like to talk about, which happens to be pop culture. Um, you know, we are all in this sort of political media marketplace trying to find our way to get into the conversation. And for me, it actually happened to be Star Wars. I started doing entertainment writing and analysis of Star Wars films for my podcast, Beltway Banthas, uh, where we look at the political undertones and overtones uh, of Star Wars. And that happened to be my way to get onto cable news for the first time was when The Last Jedi came out. There was a poll that came out in the morning consult about whether or not Star Wars fans view the series as political. I wrote a piece about it, and I also you know, just reached out to, to the Kennedy show on Fox Business. I was like, hey, I actually know this subject inside and out. Let's talk about it. They said yes. And then after they brought me Kennedy's on- cool like that, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know, she's cool like that. She's total total nerd, she's one of us, it's great. Uh, brought me on, and then after that, it was an invite to come to New York and you know sit on the panels and actually segue my political um, you know my political analysis with my pop culture analysis and that sort of just blossomed into um, I wouldn't say a career because it's not something that pays and people should know that uh, right off the bat um, but a, a good and effective no that's a good point I'm glad you made that a lot of people I'm glad you made that point because I think a lot of people out there they don't realize there's a yeah. Tremendous amount of sweat 
and uh, you know, just personal sacrifice that goes into doing a lot of this political stuff, and the money's yeah. certainly not there in the beginning. Just just because Fox uh, asks you to come up to New York and puts you on a train to come up there doesn't mean you won't be eating ramen the whole way up. That's true, and a lot of people also don't understand that even Fox and um, all these other larger uh, media outlets, so a lot of times these commentators, and this may not have been you, some of these commentators have to pay even to go on. I mean, you know, that's yeah. crazy. That's yeah. true. And, 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 yeah, and that's where you get into the kind of seedy side of stuff. And I wouldn't say have to pay, but I would say that there is an element of media, which is pay to play, uh, in which you can just pay someone who knows somebody to get you on and leverage uh, yourself that way. Uh, it's, it's part of what has made media so problematic where you will see a democratic strategist and a Republican strategist on CNN or Fox or MSNBC having a debate. And then you look into this person and you go, wait, so they ran a single campaign when they were 22 for someone running for their state house seat. And well, they they're married to a producer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that, that happens too. Uh, that's a big part of it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the media is about personality and strong contrast and analysis. So do you have a strong opinion? Can you stand out in a crowd? Uh, and do you have something interesting to say? And at the end of the day, that's who they're going to put on. Uh, there's also an aspect of, you know, they want, you know, the most credentialed people possible. Um, but it's a little bit of both. It's a hybrid of entertainment um, and enlightenment, as they like to say over at The Blaze. <laughs> I, I, I like that quote, actually. I mean, I have my you know, 50-50 on those guys, but I, I like that quote. Um, I would say that we're part of what we call, and I think you are too, kind of the new media. Some people have referred to us as MAGA media since 2016, things like that. But I do think that this mobile media uh, is the way of the future. And I think that, you know, even though I understand why they go after, you know, these, oh, I went to Oxford or Harvard or all this. I think that, yeah. honestly, people's opinion and just educated uh knowledge bases and personality is enough here online and i think that i really enjoy that those things shine through and it's a little less stuffy and like you said not so incestuous you know you see a lot of these shows and networks and you know the same people are rotated on throughout the course of an entire day if you watch it it's like well i mean we got to get a little more fresh air in here i am a big fan of fox news i don't want to get anybody out there to get me wrong sure i just think that you know it's good to call balls balls and strikes strikes and that's my opinion on that so anyways so what do you think is going on out there as far as uh, censorship of conservative voices? I know it's kind of a, a big question, but what do you think in general? What do I think about what is going on with it? All right. So I think that there is with no Stephen Crowder and all these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's no shortage of incidents that have occurred in this space. And I do have mixed opinions on the matter. Um, but what I would say is that to the credit of the right, they are able to identify that there is a homogeneity uh, in Silicon Valley, big tech, these sort of uh, platforms as they like to think of themselves um, with progressive thought. And a lot of the main um, Ivy League institutions across the country are funneling their hangups and their kinds of people uh, into these institutions. I've always said, and I've said this um, on Fox once or twice, I'm not concerned so much about campus PC culture as I am what happens when those people graduate. Uh, that is not the biggest thing that I, I'm worried about. I, it, what freaks me out is when they go to work at Google. Uh, and when they go to work at Google and they have a view about speech as violence, and then they start applying it um, to algorithms, and they start applying it to who's going to show up at the top of searches. Uh, and this goes to Twitter, this goes to YouTube. Um, it is all connected. And so I think that's what we have to be cognizant of. 
Um, what I am also trying to balance at the same time is that these platforms are voluntary. They don't owe you anything and we don't owe them anything. Um, and there is a sense of addiction that kind of goes on with all these platforms where um, we don't seem to be thinking seriously about what the alternatives are and where we're going to take our message um, if someone is deplatformed. I think someone like Steven Crowder is owed a certain sort of monetary compensation for having his compensation taken off of uh, away by YouTube when he's built an entire livelihood off of touching base with his audience in that way. I think that there's got to be some more solutions uh, to this entire thing besides uh, them kicking people off, us freaking out about it, saying we're censored. But in reality, none of us are censored. We're just having a hard time reaching our audience through these traditional platforms. And when I say traditional, I mean they've been popular for about 10 years. Uh, on the on the interwebs, my friend, that is ancient. You might as well be digging them up with an Indiana Jones style crew, you know. But <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But here's, you know, because you know you, you have Parler and you know uh, you do have MeWe and you have some other platforms out there. But again, you know they don't have the audience. So really, the whole crux of it is, I mean, you have Google and uh, with Crowder, you have you know what's well, Google? I guess YouTube. Uh, yeah, and, and they're picking winners and picking losers. And I think that that's just not right because they're just picking winners and losers ideologically. And I understand that at private companies, I'm with you. I, I kind of went on a rant there. I don't do it very often. So I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 on how it works. But I don't think there's going to be a clean-cut answer to it. I think it's going to be a little bit messy, especially going yeah. into the election. Oh, it's it's incredibly messy. And and my my to be clear, my opinion on this is evolving and shifting every day because this is such – a tough situation to be in when you consider yourself a market libertarian um, and someone who also, I, I grew up conservative. I, I kind of understand that mindset, that sensibility. Um, and I, I'm conflicted about the entire thing. Uh, one thing that I think has to be changed at some point is these websites, these platforms, as they've always been, cannot continue to exist and say that they are just platforms if they're practicing editorial discretion. Um, this is something that we also have to consider when we're talking about whether or not they can be regulated. Um, they are practicing editorialism. Uh, and so that means that they're going to have to be treated like news services and not like a place where anybody can put out their content. That changes the nature of the discussion. I mean, we just recently have found out more about how Pinterest started removing pro-life vendors and content from their platform and making it hard for you to find any sort of pro-life material on Pinterest because that is some sort of hate speech of some kind. Um, Anything that offends the sensibilities crazy. of any amount of the, you know, uh, get their fifis hurt very easily liberal. I mean, it could be literally five people and it's going to be censored by these big tech corporations. It's outrageous. The extreme liberalism. I'm not talking about, Hey, I'm a little left of center. I kind of think, you know, I, that's the right way to go. We're talking about people nowadays that are to the left of Che Guerrero. I mean, they call him a human rights hero. He murdered women and children. Crazy. Yes, some, some people do. Uh, one of the presidential candidates was, uh, was stumping, and talking about Che Guevara yesterday. Oh, it was uh, de Blasio, right? <laughs> yeah, de Blasio is trying to reach the millennial vote and uh, speak to their Che Guevara t-shirts. It's uh, it's pretty outlandish. Did you also like that uh, de Blasio slept through that interview he was supposed to be at today? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, he completely slept through it. I guess it must have been right after his, uh, which I guess this is true, he takes an armed guard down to this gym every day because he's, you know, he's one of the people, you know, down there at the gym working out with, 20 armed guards around him. That's just what normal people do. Bill de Blasio. 
He, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, that to me, he's the most outrageous candidate there is. I mean, he's failing in New York, the biggest metropolis in America, and he thinks he's going to go win in Iowa, in uh, Nebraska, or wherever. That will never happen, not in a million years. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out with, with many candidates, but particularly de Blasio, what his angle is. Why are you running for president? We all know that you cannot win. We know that you cannot uh, make it across the finish line there, and you're also struggling in New York. So what is he trying to do? I, I think it might be somewhere along the lines of just trying to force his stuff into the democratic conversation, which really has to do with a state-based approach to progressive policy, um, where he's sort of you know forced upon uh, you know minimum wage in his city and paid time paid time off and vacation time uh, enforced by the city of New York. Um, I think that maybe he's trying to force that into the conversation, similar to how Bernie has forced all of his issues into the conversation for the past four years, and now the entire Democratic Party is centered around his viewpoints. Um, it, it's tough to figure out who's sincere and who's not. What do you think about, uh, you know, obviously the anointed one, like Hillary was last time, is obviously Joe Biden this time. Uh, by the DNC, you can plainly see that's who the rank and file, does, you know, the hardline Democrats want for sure. Uh, but Kamala Harris called him out the other day in that uh, debate. And do you think the which way do you think that's going to go? Do you think that the DNC is so obsessed with, you know, identity politics that they're going to give in to like the likes of Kamala Harris or even a Pete Buttigieg being a homosexual? Or do you think that they're going to stick with it? Because, look, Biden put in his time. He served under Obama and now it's his time to run. And that's the way they really run with superdelegates. Well, people in, in the MAGA mindset uh, would probably understand that parties are becoming more and more decentralized and less and less important in driving the outcomes of primary elections. Donald Trump is a fine example of that. I think Hillary Clinton is the last breath of the Democrats' ability to control their primary process and pick the kinds of candidates that they would have normally picked. And this is not meant to be a slam on Donald Trump, but I think this is bad for our politics. We're going to get the most extreme uh, that each party has to offer and each mindset has to offer. I think Joe Biden is toast. I think he's going to go down in a matter of months and Kamala Harris is going to end up the candidate uh, that or Elizabeth Warren. Uh, the progressives, I think, are. You do not to- think Bernie? No. I, no, no, I think Bernie has been completely snuffed out because his ideas have been stolen by all the other candidates. And stolen's probably not the right word, but, you know, borrowed uh, by the other candidates to the point where he. Borrowed in the same sense that Bernie would borrow all of our money. All of your tax dollars. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really shocking how he was marginalized uh, in the first debate and how he's been marginalized in in the the primary so far with all of his positions now being in vogue and popular. Uh, The white old guy from Vermont is not going to be the one who champions them. It will be Kamala Harris as sort of um, uh, an intro to democratic socialism, or as I like to call it, socialism uh, for the new democratic electorate. Um, I don't think Joe Biden is going to pull this off, and I think he's going to get snuffed out here at some point. How do you see it playing out in 2020 as far as the Congress goes? What do you think is going to happen there? I'm not saying that I think that, you know, you have a crystal ball and I know we're a long ways off and there's a lot of circumstantial <laughs> yeah. things that could happen. But people, I mean, do you think that we're going to end up with uh, the Senate and the House or do you think that it's going to be status quo the way it is now? What's going to happen? 
I actually think status quo the way it is now, I don't think the Democrats will take back the White House. I think Donald Trump is set for eight years, uh, particularly the way things are looking right now. And the Republicans will maintain the Senate. Democrats are going to maintain the House, maybe even strengthen their gains in the House. Uh, but I don't think they have a chance right now at the White House with the way that they're running, okay. which is encouraging. It is encouraging. I actually, I actually think Trump's – I think the only person that can lose this election for Donald Trump right now is Donald Trump. Correct. And uh, I do believe that. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, uh, what about your platforms that you're working with? I mean, what people are out there, you know, they heard a little bit about your views. You know, if this is the first time ever hearing from about you or anything like that, then what should they be looking for? Who should they be checking out? Yeah, well, I, I think the one thing I always do like to promote is is my my work with my Star Wars and politics podcast. It's sort of a good intro to get to know me and and sort of where I came from uh, doing media and commentary. It's called the Beltway Banthas Podcast. Um, it is currently on hiatus and is going to come back here towards the end of the summer uh, with new episodes, but it's got a great backlog of material to listen to if you want to understand any and everything about the politics of the Star Wars franchise, both uh, inside the universe and sort of outside in our own world. Uh, lots of great stuff to listen to. Uh, besides that, I write for the Washington Examiner. You can find my pieces over there in the opinion section of the Examiner. Uh, about every other week is when I'm writing for them. Uh, and Twitter, you know, Stephen underscore Kent eight nine. Lots of opinions and takes there. I love to chat with people. Well, thank you very much, uh, Stephen, for joining us today. It's been our pleasure. Um, and if you're anybody out there listening wants to find us, as always, you can find us at www.newrightnetwork.com. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at newrightnetwork.com. That's one word at newrightnetwork.com. And again, um, anything you'd like to leave us with here today? Anything you want to say to the people? I don't know. I mean, may the force be with you. Or... The one is may the force be with you all. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Everybody, thank you very much. And uh, Stephen, hang around for just a moment. And everybody, that's a wrap. You've been listening to New Right Network. Mobilizing. Countering. Energizing. Online at newrightnetwork.com. Network.com.